Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Investing Counterpoint. Today, we have an exciting episode for you. It's one that's actually uh, been not requested in particular, but it's been a question that we've been getting an awful lot given the volatility that's happened in the markets over the past year. Today's episode is all about VAR and specifically the way and reasons that VAR breaks and the usefulness and not and uh, not usefulness of VAR. So we have a lot to say about this topic. And, and Daniel, it's one that we've been talking about for, for years, I mean, over a decade now. Yeah, decade, more than a decade. So first of all, for, for our listeners, VAR is a value at risk. That's a measure of portfolio riskiness. So if you're managing portfolios for your clients or you invest yourself, but it's very important to understand that VAR kind of wears many hats. Value at risk is a core technology that is used in many different ways, but it's same kind of thing. So sometimes it's called value at risk. If you look at something like standard deviation or tracking error, that is a very similar measure. It's really uh, related. In financial advisors use a risk number or a range, let's say, uh, from different providers. Let's say the people they say that this is the range that 90% or 95% of your outcomes fall into this range. When you hear that, you hear somebody say, 90% of outcomes are within this range, or 95% of the outcomes are in this range between you know minus 15 and plus 22. I don't know. That is a value at risk right there. So you have to recognize it before you understand that what we talk about, you have to understand the many guises in which this value at risk comes from. Okay, so we, we call it VAR because it's value at risk. That's the original methodology. But this methodology has been adapted many times, but at the core, it's still the same thing, right? It's still the same thing. And what I want to tell you first is that you have to realize that this methodology, yes, more or less, it was part of Nobel Prize winning research. Yes, it was widely used. Yes, most of the textbooks contain it. But do real managers with money on the line use value at risk today? No. Almost 100% the answer will be no. Why? Because it's a completely discredited, useless measure. Let me tell you the theoretical reason first, give you some anecdotes of why it's not useful, but the theoretical reason is very easy to see. When you talk about a risk that's within 95%, so this is what happens 95% of the time. The question becomes, what about the other 5% of the time? And the answer should be, well, if we're using such a measure, we don't really care about it. We have nothing to say about that, right? But what is 95 and 5%? 5%, it's 120th. So imagine you come to the investor and say, I'm going to manage risk for you. Great. But you know what? Let's say weekly, right? Every 20th week, the worst possible week, I'm going to ignore because I have nothing to say about that. I mean, that somebody, somebody from the real world with common sense would look at you as if you were crazy. That is actually the definition of value at risk. You can still find in textbooks. It's a risk measure that is valid only in normal times. Do you, do you notice the, the, the absurdity here? Uh, that's like saying I have an umbrella that only works when it doesn't rain. That's exactly the same thing because definition of risk is something that happens in abnormal times. If a risk measure is only valid in normal times, it's doing nothing. Actually, it's worse than nothing. It's actively misleading. It's lulling you to think, to sleep, to think that are your clients, that you have a hold on risk, where in reality, you're just looking at the range where the risk asserts itself, you're going to have unhappy clients, you're going to have losses and so on. And the first example in history was long, long ago, it was 1998, long-term capital management. 
I don't know who remembers that there was a star, you know, all-star team of money managers. Well, they're not really money managers. They were more theoretic math geeks, Nobel Prize laureates, you know. It had people like Myron Scholes and so on. And, and it was doing extremely well. And their whole methodology was around VAR. That was like the, the thing that they used. And for two years, they were conquering the world. And, you know, to the point where somebody asked Myron Scholes, Myron, you're like one of the smartest people on earth. What do you have more brains of money? And he said, well, it's brains, but it's getting close. You know, that's kind of the dopey answer he gave. That, you know, and then, of course, in 1998, they blew up because, because abnormal episode occurred. Russia defaulted on its sovereign debt. And they famously claimed that our model showed that it's impossible, that it is zero possibility. Why? Because it was outside of the 95% range. So if you as an advisor using tools like that, remember in the abnormal episode, they have nothing to say. So long-term capital management blew up. Uh, amazingly, those people found jobs again. Uh, but uh, it's funny, one of their founders, Jan, he was asked by clients because it's common knowledge at the time that Russia is about to default. People, clients came to them and said, do you know that? This is a big holding in your portfolio. And they showed them the math and they said, I don't believe your math. And he said then the famous phrase that, you know what, if Russia defaults, then I should get out of business of investing and open up a restaurant. And so that client later sent them a note with some silverware, here's for your restaurant. So value at risk was thoroughly discredited. Well, you know what else is interesting is yeah. in the aftermath of that was... Um, they, they said because they were using leverage as well. So they 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 blew up, like you said. But they also said, if we could have stayed liquid longer, we would have been right. That's, so that is if we weren't so badly wrong, we would have been right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's true for anybody who lost money in the markets. I mean, they just said, like, basically, they said, uh, you know, give us enough time and we will survive. But that's true for anyone. So only Nobel laureates could come up with such nonsense. So, uh, and it's not that they're not smart people, but it's just a completely flawed way of thinking about the markets, in my opinion. 2008 was another huge debacle for VAR. That killed it. I mean, VAR was all around, was all over the place. All these money managers were using it. And then they all blew up. And there wasn't even an article, big article in New York Times that I remember vividly, uh, risk mismanagement. It was all about VAR and how it's flawed and so on. So after 2008, most of the actual... Uh, real money managers do not use VAR anymore. It's just like, I mean, look how many times you can get burned. However, for financial advisors, unfortunately, the tools that are produced for advisors frequently do use such a number, right? And value at risk is uh, is a discredited measure, right? It's discredited. It's, it's for many reasons. Like I explained to you that it's not even a risk measure per se, right? But also it's it's notoriously late. It's not just 98 or 2008. Almost every crisis, it is late, and then it starts changing in the middle of a crisis, right? And I'll show you just a couple of charts. So here, this chart is, these are returns running up to 2008, right? 2008 crisis. And there are a couple of methods here to use to calculate value at risk, actually, VAR. They're pretty sophisticated methods. One is called decay time-weighted. The other one's equal-weighted. So the decay time-weighted red, it's much more responsive. It's like a thing that's all over the place. But notice that before the crash, Neither of those methods showed, said anything about risk. Why? Because it's a rear, it's a rear view measure. That's another reason. Beyond the fact that it's only valid in normal times, it's also it's a rear view measure. You cannot estimate risk by looking at just the history of past returns and extrapolating, which is what it does, right? So 
uh, LTCM crash, the one we just talked about. See the these lines that pierce var, these one, two, three, four at least lines in this period of one year that pierce var. Those are all major losses outside of that interval. So if you're managing money with the idea that well, this is kind of the range I care about, but the really I'm pretty sure that investors really cared about these events, this one and this one piercing events. Not so, about the other ninety-five percent of the time, yeah. So, so let, let's make sure we explain what these these lines are. You you explain equal weighted and deca decay time weighted, um, but this these lines are the VAR. So this is when you say ninety-five or ninety-nine percent chance that you're not going yeah. to exceed this level. This is That's ninety-nine, lines, by the way. So even if you go ninety-nine, 99. You're, still, okay. you're completely yeah. This is not ninety-five. So the, yes, exactly. The comeback could be well, maybe not ninety-five. Maybe let's do ninety-nine. 99 is the same thing. The problem is not in the quantile, as it's called, the percentage. Uh, it's just a fundamentally wrong measure, right? In the dot-com meltdown, it's the same thing. Uh, as you run up in 2000, January, boom, it pierces it. Boom, it pierces it again by a lot. And this is just daily, right? Uh, well, 2008, we already saw. So the idea, again, to recap, it is a measure that is not designed for risk at all. It shouldn't be called value at risk. It should be called value at norm. Uh, it comes in many guises, you know, all of the ranges, whenever you hear within 90% probability or 95% probability, you fall in this range, that is value at risk. And it also is a rear view measure. It's it's looking in the rear view. That's why you cannot do risk, Jan. So what, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, the great thing about it is that it works great when it's when everything's going smoothly, when it's normal. You think you get lulled in. There's no rain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it really works well. It really works well when there's no risk. Um well, you know, so one of the things that I wanted to explain is that there there is a better way. So let me show you um, a couple, just a couple slides here as well. Um, I'm going to build on what Daniel just just showed us here. You can see that th this is essentially what a confidence interval is, right? So we're not going to go too far into this, but this is essentially what Daniel's talking about. You know, you have all these normal times, and then you have the exceptional times. And Daniel showed you some some older uh, vars, but this is a newer one. So this is this is what happened during uh the coronavirus pandemic right and so you can just see break 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 and what does var do in response to that just like what daniel showed is it gets wider so if you're using something a value at risk measure that reacts that dtw that daniel showed you, which is the fast reacting risk measure you're going to notice things get wider and wider and wider from a var perspective after because it's like after the fact after the rain you're all wet and then the umbrella opens <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> just, that's that's right. exactly exactly um and so that's what happens, and that's what you know. One of the one of the reasons that that happens is it. Um, well, actually, I'll, I'll go into that in a moment. But but let's talk about three different portfolios. So we're talking about VAR, and what I have here is three different sixty forty portfolios. So you can see that by these asset classes: portfolio one, two, and three. They're all equity and fixed income. And I will even show you that the VARs are somewhat similar. These aren't radically different numbers. If I tell you that your 99% VAR is 24, 26, or 30. Yeah, these, bell, these bell curves, they show a range. Is this? It's kind of hard to see on. This is 99.7% oh, yeah. range. It is. It, it, exactly exactly right. So this is almost 100% confidence that you're not going to lose more than 25%. On either sides of this hump is your, when somebody tells you with 95% probability, you're going to lose no more than X and you're going to, gain no more than Y, right? This is it. Those are the two dots, essentially. That's right. And these are very similar in scale. I mean, the one on the right is the is the most risky and the one on the left is the least risky. But what does that mean? 
Is, is the real concern that you might lose 25 versus 26% in one of these portfolios? Well, really, if we look at what we do here with, the, with, our, with our crash tests, look at how different these crash tests are. Look at, what, look at the effect of a 2008 stock collapse on these three different portfolios. Those are radically, radically different. You know, the upside is, is different. I mean, you can say 15 is different than 20, which is what these numbers say. 15% is different than 20% on the high end. But look at how different these are on the downside. The Fed yeah, severe... but something happens specifically. Yeah, it has probably some assets that, that, that change uh, change performance in the in the downside. That's exactly right. I mean, some of them have more uh, government debt. Some of them have more. This is stress testing. So this is what uh, money managers that have money on the line actually use today. They don't use VAR. They use this. And as an advisor, you should be considering this because because. It is, first of all, a measure that is valid not only normal times, but it is valid in abnormal times. That's why it's called stress testing. And secondly, it is not rear view mirror. You can actually design scenarios that are forward looking. Go ahead, Neil. Yeah, I mean, and this is the Fed severe adverse scenario, right? This is a forward looking. The Fed comes out with scenarios for banks to stress test every single year. They have an adverse scenario and they have a severely adverse scenario. The Fed says banks must be able to understand what their books will look like in these scenarios. And they lay out a, a ton of different variables. And so when we model something like that, we can see what happens to portfolios. And again, this portfolio on the left is very different than this one on the right. Even though they have a similar range. Yeah, exactly. And then you look at the bottom one, this stagflation that we're going through, this one on the right would have done best in a stagflationary environment, a forward-looking expectation of what stagflation can look like. And, and in VAR, you couldn't even measure that because the last stagflation we had was in the 1970s. None of these models look back this far. But with That's stress right. testing, you can create scenarios out of 1970s, out of 1930s. I mean, you could really do a lot. And that's why it's so versatile. That's why Federal Reserve, for example, requires these things out of banks. And by the way, we do have Federal Reserve scenarios here as well, right? Directly from yeah, the that's, Fed. That's, that's, sorry, I didn't realize this was going to be this small, but this is what this bottom one, uh, the second to the bottom one is the Fed severe adverse scenarios. And when you think about what happens, you know, this is what you've been, this is, this is just volatility, Daniel. This is just a chart of volatility. This line is kind of the, just a moving average, a simple moving average. And you can see how the line peaks way after the way after the peak of the of the actual volatility volatility is coming way down while your model is still expanding and that's what we showed before that expansion of var so your 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 guardrails are getting wider and wider and wider to account for what's happening here but not what's coming up in the future right and and one more thing that I'd like to bring up with var because I think it's very important if you are doing var for your clients or any confidence interval 95% 90% yeah yeah, exactly. Any confidence interval. Let me show you what that means here. So this is from Bloomberg. And this is just the volatility of a portfolio before coronavirus and after. And look at how big that is. Look how big of a jump that is. It goes from about seven to about 19. What does that mean for what you're telling your clients? You are telling your clients essentially that your VAR, your value at risk, your monthly number in this case, I'm just doing this on a one month. You're saying your 99% loss in one month on your portfolio, we expect to be no more than 6%. But when they come back next month, you have to tell them that the same person for that same portfolio that you think that their VAR, the maximum that they're going to lose 99% of the time, not the maximum, I'm sorry, that they shouldn't expect to lose more than 15%, 99% of the time. Remember, VAR is not a maximum. And that's what I'm hearing from advisors in 22 that happened a lot for people who use this type of stuff because you 
the risk measure jumps, you know, after the fact. And it's That's like right. telling them the obvious, like, hey, you're Captain Obvious. You, The risk grows, really. I already lost money. So... Um, that's why stress testing is so valuable. Uh, I believe we'll, we'll have, in many of our videos, we talk about stress tests. Subscribe to the channel, by the way. You want to learn more about risk because we're entering a period where you really need, really need this knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is, really, this is really important stuff. Understanding what your metrics are telling you and the points where they can break and fail. And you, know, you really have to have a good understanding of this because we're seeing markets kind of all over the place, you know, up, down, um, you know, especially 2022 going into 2023. I mean, this could be a great year. It could be a bad year again. So we'll, we'll see what uh, what it has in store for us. But you want to be prepared with the right, the right metrics for the right situation. And you know, risk doesn't have to be hard. We try to explain it. Uh, it's not trivial, but it is not rocket science for sure. So if it's not something's not clear, please ask questions in the, in the comments and we will see you on the next video. Thank you, everyone. Bye.